This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you've ever taken a close look at the portraits of Jesus, you'll notice that artists seldom, if ever, portray Jesus with his hands in a palms-down position. They always draw Jesus with his hands, palms up. Look at your hands for a moment. They may be quite revealing. For instance, uh, let me ask you to close your hand, if you will, into a tight fist. Now you have a fist which is so tight you could not pick up anything. Also, you'll notice that your fist is pointed away from you toward that other person. Others in front of you see only a rough surface with no suggestion of helpfulness. What do you think of when you see a person with two tightly clenched fists in front of you? Well, it's the thought of fighting, the thought that someone is against you and you're ready for a fight. Well, that's not a very beautiful sight, is it? Now, hold your hand in a half-closed clutching position, not fully open, not, not closed. What do you see now? Well, your fingers are turned toward you, suggesting selfishness. This is a grasping position. It looks more like a claw than a hand. This is the hand position taken often by weird monsters in horror movies. Monsters that care not for other people, but only for themselves. That hand is very grotesque. Now, a third question. Will you extend your fingers straight out, holding your palm upward still? What do you see now? An open hand suggesting that you have nothing to hide. This hand is a picture of gentleness, of helpfulness, of friendship. It seems almost ready at a moment's notice to reach under a burden and help lift it up. Oh, what a difference between this palm upward hand and the clenched fist. This morning I want to ask that you consider with me several kinds of hands. And these have been suggested by a, a person of many years ago, a great preacher, Dr. Herschel Hobbs. The first kind of hands, hoarding hands. These hands are always waiting to receive, never waiting to give. I have an old dictionary that I keep on my shelf, and the very first definition of a hand which is given in that Webster's Dictionary is this, a part of the arm which is at the end and which is used for grasping. Too often we think primarily of what we can get rather than what we can give. Thanksgiving and Christmas are times when we think often of what we've been given and what we're to receive. Little children think a whole lot of that as Christmas comes closer. What are, what are you going to get for Christmas? What am I going to get for Christmas? They don't think so much, what am I going to give for Christmas? Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20 verse 35. Notice Jesus did not say it's bad to receive. 
but he placed giving as a source of greater joy than receiving. Hoarding hands are never happy hands because they're always trying to get more than they have. They're never quite satisfied. You perhaps have heard of the person who rushed to the grocery store to purchase large quantities of scarce items just before a storm was forecast to arrive. When asked the reason for such large purchases, the shopper replied, I got to buy all this before the hoarders get to it. Well, we know during presidential election years or even before the president two years from now is to be elected, uh, we hear calls all the time for unity among the political parties. Many of us who are listening to me right now will remember those off-quoted words of John F. Kennedy in his inaugural speech. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And that statement still applies to us today, these many years later. Regardless of whether you're happy about the outcome of the presidential election or the statewide elections or city or community elections, uh, whatever, what can we all do now to benefit our country? Now's not the time to stop praying for our nation. What else can we do for our nation, our state, our communities? Not to get from them, but to give to them. This same question could well apply to our churches. What's your primary thought when you go to church on Sunday? Do you go to be pampered, to be ooed and awed over? Or do you go to church to receive a blessing from God and to transmit that blessing to other people? It's amazing to note how many people get this matter all confused. They think that they come to church and plop themselves down and say, well, here I am, preacher. I did you a favor by coming this morning, so now I want you to entertain me. You better do a good job, too, because I'm going to sit, be sitting back. I'm just going to be waiting for a chance to find something you did wrong in not giving me a royal welcome today and making me happy when I leave. You remember the words of Jesus? He said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm sure you've heard the reason why the Dead Sea in the Holy Land is dead. It's because all the water flows into the Dead Sea, but no water goes out of it except through evaporation. It has an inlet, but no outlet. That same is true of a life. Helping, hoarding hands are not very happy hands. Well, that moves us to a second kind of hand. That's what I call helping hands. This is the opposite of hoarding hands. The intention of the first, hoarding hands, is to receive. But helping hands are there primarily to give. As hard as it is to believe, after today there are only five Sundays left and then it's Christmas. At Christmas time we usually think of those we may help in some way. And that's good, as it ought to be. But helping hands are not confined to the material world alone. Some people need our prayers more than they need our money. Can you think of somebody like this? A little girl was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping with her mother one Christmas. 
As they hurried away from the downtown area that last minute, little girl was slower moving than her mother wanted. As the mother tried to hurry her little daughter along, they passed a beggar sitting on the street. The little girl stopped and began walking toward that unsightly man who was sitting there on the sidewalk. So the mother grabbed her daughter's hand and more tightly and said, Come on, honey, that's none of our business. So that night, as the little girl knelt beside her bed, she said her regular bedtime prayer, Now lay me down to sleep. And then, as usual, she added to the end, Bless Mommy, Bless Daddy, Bless Brother. And this time she added, And God, bless that old beggar down the street. But, oh, wait, God, that's none of our business, is it? One of the most discouraging things about the life of Christ was the fact that he stopped to help anybody. It's discouraging to us when we know we don't do it. It's disconcerting to us. Jesus stopped anywhere to help anybody. It mattered not what their situation in life was, their station. It mattered not what their race, their looks, their social status was. Jesus was interested just in helping. Remember Nicodemus, that synagogue official who went to Jesus by night? Or the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? How about that self-righteous Pharisee? Or the despised Samaritan woman at the well? Everybody remembers Zacchaeus, that little man who was up a tree in more ways than one. And Peter, that rough and ready fisherman, who always seemed to have his mouth in motion before his brain was in gear. Also Matthew, that tax collector, who would certainly not be at the top of the list of the most loved people of his day. These and many others found Jesus to have helping hands. But there's a third kind of hands, happy hands. The words, it's more blessed to give than to receive, were not recorded in any of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Paul rescued these words from oblivion, and they are recorded in the book of Acts. Otherwise, they may have gone unrecorded, as many of the other sayings of Jesus were. Acts 20, verse 35. Paul was speaking here to the Ephesian elders. Now let me ask, is it really more blessed or happier to give than to receive? Well, let's ask some other questions. Would you rather be a benefactor or a beggar? Would you rather be a physician helping other people or just a patient? Would you rather be a liberator or a slave? Would you rather be a missionary who shares the good news of Jesus or a pagan? The point which we so often miss is in thinking that we must be quite wealthy before we can give. Oh, that's so untrue. Someone once said that a poor man can be happy, but a happy man cannot be poor. If there is within you an inward happiness, then you're rich regardless of how much money there is in your pocketbook or purse or bank account. Jesus said that if you would really be happy, try pouring that happiness on somebody else, sharing it with them. I think it was Emerson who said, happiness is a perfume that you cannot pour on others, 
without getting a few drops on yourself. A number of years ago, a little boy requested a pastor to come to his home where his sister was sick. The mother had died and the father had disappeared. So with the help of neighbors and others, this little sister had cared for the younger children, taking the place of both mother and father. Now this sister was seriously ill and the little boy asked his preacher to come. The pastor gave her comfort and all that he could, but the little girl kept on asking, how will God know that I belong to him when I come? She had ideas that maybe she wasn't going to live. The preacher tried to explain that God knows all his children by name. The very hairs of our head are numbered, that he sees all of us as individuals. As somebody put it, he loves each one of us as if there were only one person in this world to love. But the little girl was not satisfied. She kept on asking, but how will God know that I belong to him when I come? At last, looking at her hands, which were rough and worn by the care she had given her little family, the pastor said, I'll know the answer to your question, how God will know. Just show him your hands. He'll know then that you belong to him. How does God know that we belong to him? There are, of course, many ways. But one of the surest ways is what could be called the hand test. Maybe too many of us are relying on the tongue test, what we say in word and in song. Others rely on the appearance test, how pious we may look in the sight of other people. Still others depend on the heart test, how strong our spiritual emotions may be. But I believe one of the surest tests is the hand test. How many times it is said of Jesus that he reached forth his hands. Yes, he was constantly using his hands to touch people, to lift people, to give to people, to minister to people. And if we are truly his, our hands will show it. There was once a nurse who was ministering to a critically ill woman. She said to the doctor, if that woman dies, I do not know what I'll say to her husband. The doctor wisely replied to the nurse, it's not what you say that's the most important. Just make him a cup of tea. Today we need to pray in the words of the hymn, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. What do your hands reveal? Does God know that we belong to him by our hands? Some time ago, I heard a beautiful story about an old man, probably some 90 years old plus, sat feebly one day on a park bench. He didn't move, he just sat with his head down, staring at his hands. When someone came along, a friend, or somebody who didn't even know him, sat beside him, the old man did not acknowledge that other person's presence. And this person said, the longer I sat, I wondered if the old man was okay. Finally, not really wanting to disturb him, but wanting to check on him at the same time, I asked him, are you okay? 
He raised his head and looked at me and just smiled. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you for asking, he said in a clear, strong voice. Well, I didn't mean to disturb you, sir, but you were just sitting here staring at your hands, and I wanted to make sure you were okay, I explained to him. Tell me, have you ever looked at your hands, he asked. I mean, really looked at your hands? I slowly opened my hands and stared down at them. I turned them over, palms up, and then palms down. No, I guess I had never really looked at my hands as I tried to figure out the point the old man was making. Then he smiled and he related this story. Stop and think for a moment about the hands you have, how they have served you well throughout your years. These hands I have, though wrinkled, shriveled, and weak, have been the tools I have used all my life to reach out and to grab, to embrace life. They braced and caught my fall when I was a toddler. I crashed on the floor. They put food in my mouth and clothes on my back. As a little child, my mother taught me to fold my hands in prayer. These hands tied my shoes and pulled on my boots. They dried the tears of my children. They caressed the love of my life. Then my old man went on to say, these hands held my rifle. They wiped my tears when I went off to war. They have been dirty, scraped, swollen, and bent. They were uneasy and clumsy when I tried to hold my newborn son. Decorated with my wedding band, they showed the world that I was married and I loved somebody special. They wrote letters back home and they trembled and shook when I buried my parents and my wife and when I walked my daughter down the aisle. Yes, these hands were strong and sure when I dug my buddy out of a foxhole and when I lifted a plow off my best friend's foot. They have held children, consoled neighbors, and shook in fists of anger when I didn't understand. These hands have covered my face, combed my hair, and washed and cleansed the rest of my body. They have been sickly, stickly and wet, bent and broken, dried and raw, these hands. And to this day, when not much of anything else of me works real well, these hands hold me up, said the old man. They lay me down and again continue to fold in prayer as when I was a child. These hands are the mark of where I have been and the ruggedness of my life. But more importantly, he said, it will be these hands that God will reach out and take when he brings me home. And he won't care about what these hands look like, but what they have done. What he will care about is to whom these hands belong and how much these hands have helped other people. With these hands, he will lift me to his side. And there I will use these hands to touch the face of God. What a beautiful story. No doubt we'll never look at our hands the same again. When our hands are hurt or sore or when we stroke the face of our loved ones, perhaps we can think about this old man in the park 
and we can thank God for our hands. The greatest truth your hands reveal is your destiny, not in the sense of palm reading, but they reveal your destiny by the one in whom you have placed your hands. If you've placed your hands in material things, then you've given them to that which is not permanent. But if you've placed your hands in God's hands, then your life is safe and secure for now and for eternity. Where have you placed your hands? Oh God, we do want to give our hands to you and all that that involves. Thank you for loving us and taking us by the hand and leading us. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.